This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books and In Your Religions podcast, a podcast channel here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. Uh, more importantly, Today, I get to speak with Michael Fiden, who is a PhD candidate um, at the University of Texas at Austin. We'll be speaking about a fantastic open access online educational resource that he's been working on. It pertains to the Valmiki Ramayana text that's near and dear to my heart uh, that hopefully we'll dive into a bit. Um, it's available online for students of uh, the Valmiki Ramayana, which is the most ancient Sanskrit uh, um, rendition of the text. The uh, URL is included in the podcast notes. Without further ado, uh, Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And, uh, you know, we get so many profs on the podcast. It's nice to sometimes get voices of PhD uh, students and, and various people uh, beyond the academy. So maybe tell us a little bit about um, what you're working on or, or uh, right now in your program. Yeah, so uh, I'm a PhD candidate in uh, Asian Studies. Um, I passed my comprehensive exams, what was it now, a few months back. So now I'm just kind of starting to work on my dissertation. And my dissertation is on um, a large body of texts called the Girhya Sutras. They're domestic ritual manuals in Sanskrit um, that are very understudied. Uh, people don't really look at them very uh, in depth, at least. And more specifically, I'm looking at um, ancestor worship or shraddha in, in these texts and how it develops through the corpus. And um, more importantly, maybe, I am looking at the political and um, religious um, impetus behind, behind the composition of, of the good histories and how, what they can tell us about what's going on behind the scenes um, culturally and socially. Fascinating. Now, if I'm not mistaken, it's not too much of a stress, stretch to think that you might perhaps work with one uh, Don Davis and or Patrick Olifel, correct? Yes, correct. <laughs> They've both been guests of the podcast, both doing fascinating work. And uh, Don Davis was on to talk about the Dhammashastra online um, resource not too, too long ago. And um, and and Patrick Olivelle's uh, bot-like nature <laughs> in rendering such texts, which yeah. is incredible. I mean, we all know that he's a bit of a bot in terms of scholarly production, but apparently he's he just is a machine with this kind of work. It's being expanded all the like, very rapidly, and it's very useful. To um to be able to get those texts into searchable formats, it's uh, it's a game changer. You know, I've got a file. I'm not even fully sure. I may have started using Gretel, or I might have even been silly enough to manually create one. I've got a file the Devi Mahatmya. That was a text that I dissertated on. It was a topic of the first and for the most part the second book as well. And uh, the Control F feature, <laughs> it's like. Wow, game changer. You know, really all the is. epithets. Visually, you can see, visually, at a glance, okay, where does a text call her umbika? And boom, you can see there's concentrations. It's, it really is a game changer to be able to search texts. Is that the primary reason why texts are digitized? 
Um, for my research, it helps a whole lot. I'm not sure it's the primary reason or not. It's just nice to have them in an easily accessible format, period. But in, in terms of scholarship, it makes it so much easier to search through Greta, like you said, for any occurrences of certain strings of words that you're looking at. And then you can easily, so the wider context is right there. You don't got to look through an old book. You know, although there is merit to doing that, but I like having them all in one folder. <laughs> yeah, so how did you get volunteered for or suckered into doing this project what was that like well dr davis uh had the idea originally um to do an online resource based on this text um for second year sanskrit students and i was um doing a um we were that semester we were we were reading something together and then this was like a side project i was i was just doing uh, on the side to um i don't know kind of um just to help students and get my own and get my own skills and making a resource like this um, honed, you know, because it's not, it's definitely not, not an easy task. So what's that process like? Well, for tedious, tedious translations. And I looked at um, other translations of each, of each, of each of the other verses. And I made, they're all, within the resource, they're all, they're all my translations. I give um, Robert Goldman's translation as well for a number of reasons, but I have my own translation as well. And then if I ever, if I deviate from Goldman, I have to make a little footnote. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's all very, uh, very detailed. Then I, to, then I send it away to get reviewed. Um, Dr. Joel Brereton, Dr. Davis, um, Dr. Olivelle all looked at it and they all had their own comments on my translations. I had to consider those. So it was like a back and forth kind of thing. And for every verse. So it was, uh, it was pretty time consuming. Listen, both by virtue of being a grad student and by virtue of deviating from Goldman, footnotes and copious footnotes are necessary. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, what, so, so when folks go to the site, what do they find? Well, first, um, it's just a page with the copyright information that Dr. Davis helped me make. Then after that, it's a, um, a big introduction that I wrote um, about how, the, how it should be used, what the best way it, can, it should be used, and uh, how it's laid out, and how students can, e can, can easily use it. So the first, I'll get into this later maybe, but that's the, the introduction that tells you what the text is, how you use this resource, why, it's a, why, it's, why I picked the text I picked and um, how to use a dictionary. I'm not assuming students um, know how to use Monier Williams online or anything like that. So is this resource geared towards students of Sanskrit, students of the Valmigiramayana, or? Both. It's ideally, it's ideally um, aimed at second year Sanskrit students. And I, I can see it being used in two di different ways by them. So sometimes programs and schools don't have a dedicated um, class for Sanskrit or a Sanskrit professor or anything like that, but students get interested in a, maybe a religious studies setting in Hinduism, something like this. And then they go off to do a, a year one Sanskrit summer class or something. And they come back and then now what do they do, right? The, no, maybe the professor who knows Sanskrit isn't, doesn't have time to teach them or, or ABC, you know what I mean? So this guide picks, picks up there and it says, look, if you want to do self-study, this will guide you step by step through it, so you can hone your Sanskrit skills without needing a um, instructor per se. You can practice with this. It'll be it'll be kind of like the instructor. And then second application would be being used by an instructor um, to supplement their own curriculum, because um, to, to to kind of use it as a secondary uh, learning tool or resource for the class. But then they would go through. That's the, the, the instructor would go through 
with the students and add his own spin on it. How much of the Valmiki Ramayana do we find here? How much of it? It's a Sankshepa. So it's, it's a Sankshepa Ramayana. So it's the condensed version that is given at the very beginning. And I chose that because, I don't know, it was always kind of frustrating to me when I was a Sanskrit student, or I still am a Sanskrit student, I always will be, but when I was beginning a Sanskrit student, it was always frustrating that I got snippets of text. I'm like, okay, I read 50 verses of this massive text. I never got a complete story. But the Sankshepa is a complete little story in the Ramayana. And the students can feel um, good after they've completed it. Because I've read this little story in Sanskrit completely. It's done. It's a beginning, it's an end, you know? So I thought that would be um, a nice way to, to um, continue teaching after the first year. It is sort of nice to have um, a, a whole unit and maybe in particular a story. I'm, I'm a bit biased in that. I, I love stories and study stories and tell stories, but I vividly remember my very first uh, Sanskrit class with it was at the University of Toronto with uh, Libby Mills. And um <laughs> I think after one semester of grammar, we 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 started tackling actual texts. But um, I remember vividly we we were doing uh, the uh, Nalopakyana, the the story of Nala uh, from the Mahabharata. If I'm not mistaken, to this day it's like Asi Raja Nalonama Vira Sena Sutobali. It's just like you know the, the the once upon a time is just right there. <laughs> yeah, right. Nala, yeah, Nala is the uh, the go to usually for second year. Yeah. Um, so this this uh, this synopsis. So just to contextualize a little bit, uh, the Valmiki Ramayana is a fairly large text. It is in English thought of as an epic text, pun intended, perhaps a class of text dealing with uh, with larger than life themes. It is the story of the uh, legendary warrior prince and avatar of Vishnu Rama, the Ramayana, the goings of Rama, the happenings of Rama, the career of Rama. And interestingly enough, the text begins with this fascinating frame, which I think is so crucial for understanding the life of the text in transmission, where um, the first canto is the content, it's the bija before they move on to sort of uh, the form and the, and the ethos and all that. And, um, and um, uh, Valmiki questions uh, Narada after, you know, the, the, the ideal person, right? Yep. And so who's the ideal person? <laughs> who's perfect in every way, guys? Oh, funny you should ask. There's this dude named Rama, and he literally, you know, we worry about spoiler alerts so much in our culture. And I think that's so bizarre because it's not how the story ends. We see we see certain stories over and over again, knowing how they end. We enjoy the journey. So so it's like, spoiler alert, he tells the whole story of Rama at the first canto. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think I think that's a, that's a that's a that's a trope with Indian literature. But it's beautiful because it's it's yeah. it's not it's not the ending that matters. It's how you get there. It's the journey. That's right. why when we know how something ends, we watch it over and over and over again because we enjoy the aesthetic or spiritual literary journey that one goes on. Uh, and so, so just to contextualize for uh, a larger audience, you're looking at those those first verses that summarize Rama's career. That is the first chapter of the Valmiki Ramayana. And how many such verses are there? If I remember correctly, it's seventy nine, and maybe okay, and then, plus or minus a few. Do you parse them all out? Do you? Yes. Or maybe so you could say first, what parsing is. So yeah, for, for the for the first, um, I divide my guide into two sections. So the first section, I completely dissolve all um, all sandhi for the students, and I list the words 
And then I completely analyze grammatically each one. So I tell you everything about the word. And if it's weird, I do a footnote <laughs> and tell you uh, about that as well. So I, I do all, I parse everything and I, and I um, completely analyze every single word. Give you the, for the verbs, I give you everything, the, the, um, the root down to the, down to the very root for the nouns. Um, same, I, I give you number, gender, all that stuff. So the students won't have to, um, won't have to struggle with that unless they want to not look at that first and try themselves and then go back to that. So for the first section, I give you everything, the students, everything they need. And then make my own translation and show them Goldman's translation as well. So they can move between the two to see how, um, I try to keep mine more literal and um, more literal than Goldman. So they can see um, the, the merits maybe of a literal translation, a very literal translation. They can follow the Sanskrit. It'll, it'll sound really weird in English, right? But they can follow Sanskrit more easily when I explicitly make it very literal. And then Goldman's, of course, much more, um, is not as literal, but more beautiful. So I, um, I, want to, I want the students to kind of see that how to move between different types of translations. And then they have their own translation as well, the students make. And then the second part, I still dissolve all Sandhi and um, give them each word, but I do not give them any more details. And I link, I hyperlink each word to a site, which was, uh, this is a site that Dr. Gil Ben Harut at the University of South Florida um, made, Digital Roses. And it hosts, it, I, I have a, a scan of, the, of, the, um, of Manu Williams with his pages and I link them to the appropriate page for each word. So they can look, oh, here is um, some noun. And then they'll see, see a page, find the noun themselves, you know, and then, and then if it recurs down, uh, down the line in, in the text, I do not link them a second time. So I kind of assume a building knowledge, kind of like, um, like Whitney does. And that's kind of how the text, how it's divided uh, for students. So first part, full parsing, full everything, meanings, everything. Second part, it's part more dictionary work. And I give them, before that starts, I give them an introduction on how to use Monet Williams, because I don't want, I don't assume they know how. So I say, oh, this is how the definitions are arranged. This is how you look up words, that kind of stuff. So uh, for those of you, many of you will, probably catches references and some of you may not. So for those who study Sanskrit, particularly in um, the, at, uh, at the Academy, at Western Academy, uh, Moni Williams is this mammoth, uh, comprehensive uh, Sanskrit English dictionary where one will look up a word and one will see, this is how it was used in the Rig Veda. <laughs> this is how it was used, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the Upanishads and, uh, uh, massive variations and connotations on how particular nouns or, or verbal roots are used. And indeed, that is a dictionary, unlike regular English dictionaries, which requires a handbook, a manual accompanying it to tell you how to use it. Um, is this resource the resource you wish you had in second year uh, Sanskrit training? I never had an official... Uh, so my path is a little weird. So yes, the answer is yes, uh, in short, but I never had an official second year Sanskrit um, class until I came to UT. Before I just did informal readings with professors. But yes, if I had this resource to supplement my learning, it would have been great. And that's part of the reason why I liked making it so much. Because I think it is going to be useful for students to use. And especially, uh, the, no one ever, I mean, the, to go back for a second, the Manuel Williams, guide I think is important that I put in there because 
it's so misleading if you just look at the different countries. It'll go uh, for a word set, well, let me see, uh, Tantra, you know, you look it up and you see loom immediately and you go, oh, yeah, it's a loom. Of course, later, it's, it's not really a loom. Right? It's a burden with a whole bunch of more meanings. And, I, and the students need to know to look down and see the later attestations or whatever the text they're working on. And I go over all that in that intro. One of the things that's interesting about this resource is, you know, it's useful for those obviously studying the Valmiki Ramayana learning Sanskrit. Um, but it also, by virtue of how you parse out, you, you dissolve the Sandhi and Sandhi is the, the elision that occurs naturally, uh, naturally, it occurs um, um, between words based on what your mouth would, would typically want to do anyhow. Like in English, you'll say, uh, it is, and really you're not saying it is unless you're really mad at somebody. <laughs> you say, it is, I-D-I-S, that's how it sounds. And so in, in Sanskrit, you would actually spell it, I-D-I-S, it is. Um, so you dissolve the sandhi and then you parse it out or you you sort of identify all the grammatical pieces and the case endings and um, the tenses, et cetera, et cetera. It seems that the process that you're using is useful for folks to to have a look at and maybe tighten up or emulate in their own process. That makes sense. It's, you're laying out a methodology of how one arrives at the translation. Would you agree? Yes, and I think that's that also a very important part of it. And that's yes. So I, I, I think that second year, it's easy to jump from what you learn in first year to trying to do um, translations like um, Goldman or Patrick Olivelle do, right? But I think that it's taken for granted that, that you need to know everything about each word, right? And in order to, to really start to get to that level that they're at, right? So I think that, 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 that it, is, it is a major aim to show them this is how you do it if you want to start to make your own translation of something. You can't just jump in and say, this word means this, I'm gonna, you know, you have to know the case. You have to know everything. So I think that is exactly right. Can this resource be used? You touched on this previously, but can it be used independently? Or do you think this sort of enterprise ought to be engaged with a teacher? I think that ideally it should be with a teacher. Just like um, you could read the Upanishads. <laughs> right by yourself but it's ideally you have a teacher at that as well to tell you what's missing to tell you the different parts that it leaves out so yes ideally with a teacher but i think very easily can be used by yourself if you are if you already have the first year stuff down well, not down but you've learned the first year stuff i think that this can pick up there and be used by students independently i really I, that's what it's aimed at where do you go from here do you have other such projects in the work uh, in the works either pertaining to um, Sanskrit study and or um, sort of online digital tools? Yeah, actually, I've thought about, um, of, not right now, because I'm really, uh, I'm kind of burdened, uh, burdened down right now with my dissertation and some conference presentations and stuff. But in the future, I think I do want to expand on this because the, the Velmik is Ramayana is one genre of Sanskrit literature. And if students, I want, there's a bunch of others I could do for second year students. Like, you know, this is epic Sanskrit. What, what about um, the Shastras? What about um, some Upanishad stuff? You know, and it's almost like different languages you're moving in between, not just different genres. So I think that students would benefit to having the same kind of thing that I did with the Ramayana done for different genres of, and, and um, 
parts of the Sanskrit literary corpus, which I think would be a great project in the future for me. I'm not going to do it right now, per se. And I, and I also want to put this guide in a more user-friendly format as well in the future. So I want it to be like um, a little more, uh, more pretty, if that makes sense. It's, it's just a very basic kind of layout Google Doc right now, but I'd love it to be more interactive. And that's going to involve putting it uh, putting into code. But I think uh, I could do that from what I've learned, but it would be something for the future. Yeah, it's probably wise uh, to think of those fine additions and improvements as future projects, because right now <laughs> your primary project is this thing called your dissertation. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> which right. is the which is the sine qua non of a doctorate. And which can be so challenging and overwhelming, we have a term called ABD for folks who do everything. I mean, absolutely everything except this piece. So you're probably wise to focus on uh, birthing this piece into the world. Yes, that's my, my main focus now. But that, that's not to say down the road, I'm not going to, um, I would love to revisit this. It, it interests me a lot. And I think there could be a lot more done on it. Yeah, it seems without question. Uh, and you seem to be passionate about it. So I'd be surprised if you didn't, uh, um, if you didn't return to this sort of work. Why second year students in particular? I think that um, it's easy to find a first year Sanskrit class. If, if you're interested in it, you could learn the basics with either a grammar book or one, a summer course, something like that. When it comes to second year, I don't think it's that, it's not as easy. And I think second year students, second year is so important and it's so hard to find a teacher. And I think that for those students, this, this, is, this will work well for them. But, I, but also I didn't want to write a grammar book. I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> so there's so many out there. And I, and I use um, RuPaul's grammar. She, she did a wonderful grammar that I, I really like. And it's, and it's new and exciting. And a lot of people are picking it up and using it. So that's why I, I, use, I use it for my references in, in, the, in the guide. Well, I may not surprise that you use hers. Uh, we were chatting just briefly before we started this call about the podcast. And um, I was so taken with her book. I interviewed her in 2019 when it came out because it seemed so geared towards learning. I think I've had her on the podcast a couple more times since. And um, no, she's not paying me anything for the <laughs> teasing of Mrs. <laughs> I just really value the way in which she approaches Sanskrit and her her, her teaching chops in addition to her, her grammarian chops. And so um, I, I, I'm glad that you also see the value in that particular Sanskrit grammar book. Um, I wonder if there are others that you look at or that you would you think students might wish to draw on. Grammar books for Sanskrit. I use, when I learned Sanskrit, I use <laughs> I, I learned Sanskrit originally with Dr. Bitzel in the summer program, and I used the uh, really old grammar book Perry that was written in uh, pretty much um, ye old English. So I had to learn ye old English and then learn Sanskrit through that. So it was very difficult. So I would not recommend that. But I would recommend Ripples. Um, Whitney's an invaluable resource, but I think it's not a teaching tool, of course. You need to already know what you're doing before you start referencing Whitney for different grammatical things. Um, trying to think of any other grammar books that I really... I use McDonald's Vedic grammar a lot, but I do Vedic stuff. So when you're getting into that, that's like the... A really good but there's Vedic grammar for students and there's Vedic grammar I have both of them invaluable for Vedic studies but um 
trying to think of any other ones that came out somewhat recently that I heard of. I can't think of anything right now, and I'm going to kick myself after this for not thinking of it. Oh, that's okay. I mean, there's there's a number that have been around for a while. There's uh, oh, Goldman. There's about the Goldman exactly. Right. There's Goldman. There's Deshpande. There's um, um, uh, Coulson. You know, there's a number. Obviously, there's no shortage of, of options for students. I like Goldman's too. I think uh, I think Goldman's can be used in the same way. I really my I really like Ruples for this guide though, is because it it is Ruples itself is almost a, a, a teaching tool by itself. A student could maybe just go through Rupal by themselves and then jump to my guide afterwards without a teacher. I mean, it's hard, but I would say doable. Fascinating. Is there anything else about the project or really anything at all uh, in your work? Uh, you know, is there anything else you'd like to share before we, or ask before we close today? The only thing I thought of was the Dharma Shastra library. <laughs> we were tell us, about tell that. us. I think it's really invaluable and it's always being added to. So if you haven't uh, seen that yet, I would I would uh, look that up because yeah, the, and as I mentioned, there's an interview. Um, there's an interview with Don Davis, summer 2021, I believe. But in the timeless time of podcast land, that could have been yesterday or uh, ten minutes from now. <laughs> <laughs> right, but I, I, in terms of my own work, um, I have a few things in the in the in the works. Um, but um, we'll see if I get any of it published on down the road. <laughs> I think it's 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 um I find it um I find it a fascinating that in this particular case, it's the seasoned profs uh, who have heard of and been on the podcast, but it's the grad student <laughs> to whom the podcast is new. That's fascinating. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you very much for appearing and talking about this uh, work. Thank you very much for having me again. For those listening, we've been speaking with Michael Feiden, who is a PhD candidate at uh, the University of Texas at Austin. Um, we've been speaking about a, a, a fascinating new online open access tool for learning Sanskrit and or appreciating uh, the Valmiki Ramayana. The uh, link is in the podcast notes. Until next time, uh, stay safe, stay sane, keep listening, and keep contemplating the mysteries of Sanskrit grammar. Take care.